You make me so proud, Professor X. Oh, that's cute. It's sweet. It's endearing. Real, real sweet. It's a different way to start the day. Just a, just a bit different. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. And today we're talking about House of X number three. Yay, House of X. Yay, House of X. Oh, man. Okay, so let me take a moment to get my brain in the proper headspace for where we're at. Mm -hmm. We last found out that the Powers of Ten storyline that we were following with Moira and Apocalypse was Moira's ninth life. Mm Mm-hmm which was previous to her 10th life, Mm -hmm. which is year 10, which is House of X. Yes. So we're diving back into that storyline now. Yeah. And House of X number two was the many lives of Moira McTaggart. It kind of felt like a Powers of 10 issue because it was a little all over the place, but it was in year zero of... Yes, and then we had two in the grand order combining House of X and Powers of Ten. We had two Powers of Ten issues back to back. Right, so it feels like we've been in Powers of Ten for a while. Yes. The House of X issue was basically a Powers of Ten issue disguised as House of X issue, and then back to back Powers of Ten. The next two issues are House of X, so we'll be in the X for a little bit of time. Exciting. Yes. Do you want to see the cover? Yes. Standard cover? Yes. All right. Oh. Ho. Yeah. I really love this cover. It's just a really solid grouping of X-Men in front of what looks like a sentinel head. A glowing sentinel head. Yeah. All right. We got Cyclops, Wolverine, Jean Grey. Is that Nightcrawler? It is. And then a bunch of Oh, well, I know the one in the back is Angel. Yep, that's Archangel. But I don't know who those other two are. That's Monet or M and Husk. Yeah, definitely never heard of those peeps. No, they're from the Generation X storyline. All right, cool, cool, cool. Any additional covers or anything else you want to say about this one? I just really like this cover. This I don't want to say you know who this grouping of X-Men is, but we'll see Spoiler more of alert. them. Right, right. Uh, the... Variant that we have is half of a two-cover spread that I don't have the other half of. Oh, man. Yeah, but we can take a look at that next issue. But that is the left side. Yeah, that's got a lot lot of of stuff happening. A lot of different X-Men. It's very, I don't want to say busy because it's got a clear image. It's just a lot of X-Men. So there's Professor X. This is the Mahmoud Azrar variant cover with a variety of X-Men in what looks like a danger room. Ooh, a danger room. Or okay. some kind of space building. So starting at the bottom, we have Professor X. Is this Emma Frost? Yes. Emma Frost, you're always like naked. I can't. It's the Hellfire Club way. You know? <laughs> Lingerie all day, yep. baby. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's the way of the Hellfire Club. Age-old royalty. Okay, this is Gambit, Cable, Colossus. Jean Grey, or Phoenix, I would assume. Yep, that would be Phoenix. And then Beast. Yep. And 
I don't know who this angsty person wearing glasses is in the corner over here. It's Kid Omega or Quentin Choir. He is part of someone. He's one of the Omega level mutants. And yes, his powers are a part of Rasputin's. Yes. Okay. Look so at he me. Is, he is Making an Omega. connection. Yeah. He is an Omega level telepath. Okay. And um, who is this green? Slimer looking guy. <laughs> that is dupe. Dupe. Yes. What's dupe's power? I don't know too much about dupe, but it seems that his powers appear as needed and could have been magical, psionic, or cosmic in nature. But he's got a ton of potential powers. Genius intellect and psionic powers. Possible omniscience, levitation, and flight. Possible omniscience. That's like, he might know everything. It's His mind might be full of information, but does he really know how to access and use it all? Who knows? The world may never know. Or I may never know. Superhuman strength, durability, regenerative factor, resurrection... Dang. The dupiest. <laughs> the dupiest. Shall we get started? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Page turn noise. <laughs> what are you trying to steal my I, thing? I just wanted to join in. I've, <laughs> I've enjoyed I'm hearing jealous. it. You yes. jealous of A little that? bit. A <laughs> little bit. You make me proud. Ooh, we go right to the title page this time. No pre story. Just story. All about the title page. We got our Krakoan for three at the top, the TH symbol. And our creative team today is, again, Jonathan Hickman as writer, Pepe Larraz as the artist, Marta Gracia as the color artist, VCs Clayton Cowles as the letterer, and Tom Muller in design. And like I mentioned, we also were looking at the Mahmoud Asrar and David Curiel variant cover. Variety of other variant covers as well. Exciting stuff. I like variant covers. It's just something fun to look at. And in the bottom right corner, sometimes they have some other additional words, but we've got the the title of the issue, Once More Unto the Breach, and The House of Xavier, and The Eternal War of Man. Ooh, deep. Ooh, deep. The Eternal War of Man. Oh, it's Cyclops. Oh, it's Cyclops. (laughs) He was on the cover. You knew he was coming. You were prepared. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I was. It's done. I've assembled a team. Good mutants who accept the mission for what it is and understand the stakes and the risk. All right. So we've got Cyclops, and it appears that he is reporting back to Xavier and Magneto. And they had asked in a previous issue of Powers of Ten... I believe that was issue two of Powers of Ten, where they were talking about a plan with the Mother Mold. Oh, yes. They were looking at those plans, the plans that we assumed Mystique had stolen. So he has his team that's ready to go attempt to stop the Mother Mold and the activation of Nimrod. Is that where we're at? So they that is that is where we're at. Okay. The idea being that the activation of the mother mold leads to the creation of Nimrod. Gotcha. Yes. And Thank you. he's having this conversation with Xavier and Magneto and they're asking him why he's scared. You know, of course, potentially going into this 
big time mission in space to fight a desperate attempt of the humans to mm-hmm. lead to the destruction of their species. But they're they're encouraging, you know. You won't die. The righteous never do. They live on. For you to die, you would have to be forgotten. Heroes get remembered. Legends, Legends never, never die. die. The Sandlot. Pow, pow, pow. <laughs> and we flip over to the next page, and it's time to go. And we see his team assembled. It's the entire team from the cover with the addition of Mystique. Oh, snap. Would you look at that? <gasps> Mystique. So he's telling the team Orcus has built the ultimate master mold, this mother mold, a machine that builds master molds. And we have our full team from the cover, Cyclops, Wolverine, Husk, Archangel, M, Marvel Girl, Nightcrawler, and Mystique. Who's Marvel Girl? Jean Grey's other name. Started out going by Marvel Girl and I believe is referred to as Marvel Girl in this issue. She and has arc. so many names. She does. Yeah, I mean, three. Three. Yeah. She That's... also goes by Red at one point. Okay, four. four. <laughs> um, just a... Quick idea, Husk rips her skin off. What? And the layer below has adapted to whatever she needs in any given situation. So she tears off her skin. So she can't just adapt to a situation. Right. She's going she's to gotta, completely rip her skin she's off rip and then her she skin off and yeah. All right. So if she needed metal, there'd be metal underneath. Okay. And M Monet St. Croix, she's got a bunch of powers and kind of a crazy backstory with her family and through generation x you're gonna give that to me do i get that little bit of sugar (laughs) the the backstory yeah it's kind of complicated so when when m first joined the team it wasn't actually monet st croix she was trapped in another dimension with her brother who is revealed to be the villain m plate who becomes a, a bad guy that generation x fights who is joining the team are her younger twin sisters taking the form of their older sister. My brain is already exploding. I'm telling you, it's a crazy backstory that involves her family. She had been so transformed. Wait, 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 yeah, wait, yeah, yeah. wait, wait. Two twin sisters yep. are, so are they doing like a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen in the, <laughs> um, what the heck is that show? Full House. Are they doing a, a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen in the full house situation where, where they're, they're taking turns no. being her they or have they've morphed, combined They have together. used their mutant powers to combine and morph into a visible representation of Monet St. Croix. All right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and then eventually Monet Joe like is, yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Monet is like, "Nah, that's not me. I'm me. Okay, let's do it." Yep. Okay, yeah, cool. Basically. Yeah, great. Thanks for uh, that. She had Backstory, been, very she, helpful. <laughs> I, I told you it was crazy. She is turned into Penance, which is another form that we'll, we'll see part of um, and has a little bit more connection to her backstory. But I'm telling you, it's it's a... Sounds intense. It's a whole nother Powers of Ten situation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, her powers, she's super strength, invulnerable, flight. She's a telepath, telekinetic... She's got a healing factor. Her telepathy is nowhere near Omega level, but does come in handy in the next issue or two. All right. So this team is gearing up. Cyclops is like, hey, y'all, this is what we're doing. Let's get in our little jet and go do it. Yeah. And at the end of the page, he lets them know no plants. 
We're not taking a Krakoan flower with us. We're not going to have a gateway back. What? We're going to have to escape on the plane. Oh, okay. There's still, there's a way out, but they're not. Well, that makes sense because they don't want to bring anything with them that directly links anyone's access to Krakoa. And that's exactly what the next page has people questioning and, and understanding. You know, hey, well, what do you mean? Why are we not bringing any plants <laughs> Look at look at Angel's face. Yeah, he's so shocked. What? What? I don't get it. Why no plants? And so they're they're well aware of that point. The fact that if anything were to happen, and they capture the plant and get a good look at what they're doing on Krakoa with that flower, or potentially open a gateway, that's that's a whole nother level of exposure that they don't want to risk. Right. It's basically providing the enemy with inside information. Exactly. And so they're boarding the plane and they're talking about how they're trying to do this with limited casualties. Probably a lot of innocent civilians, Cyclops says. And Wolverine corrects him. uh, Innocent civilians don't build machines to exterminate a species, Slim. Slim. Oh, yeah. I think my relationship with Cyclops is Wolverine's relationship with Cyclops. Well, yeah. And I think that also comes through because your first introduction to the X-Men is the first movie. And that relationship became a much bigger part of that story than what was previously developed. This whole antagonism between Wolverine and Cyclops that did eventually flourish in the 90s, but and, and then even again in the 2000s with Grant Morrison's run, but was not as big of a contention in the comics. Yeah, I think less about, obviously I don't have a burning love for Jean Grey that's causing me to be upset with Cyclops. I think it's more, the relationship between the two of them to me feels like the relationship between two brothers where one brother is constantly annoyed with the other brother always tattling and telling him what to do. And that's how I feel about Cyclops. Yeah. He's bossy. And. Well, plus Wolverine's kind of stubborn. Yeah. And so am I. Doesn't want to be told. (laughs) Doesn't want to be told what to do by his older brother who is dad's favorite. No, he's not his older brother. He's his younger brother, which makes it worse. That's true. That's because well, Wolverine's forever old. Right. Wolverine's forever old. Sorry, my to my younger brother who clearly is getting some sort of relationship ties in this scenario. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Distraction. Well, so Gene counters, they're not soldiers, they're scientists. They're just scared for their future. And on this next page, when they're taking off from a base on the moon, just scientists, huh? How do you think we went from sticks to bombs? So he's talking about warfare and the development of warfare and how just that's... Just when, from scientists? Scientists developed those things? Is that what they're saying? Well, the need for science, the fear for your life is what led to the development of bigger and more explosive arms. Yeah, but I can understand where... Is it Jean who's saying this, that they're just scientists? I can understand where she's coming from in the mindset of... Which, again, is a, ties back to something that people always say, I think generally in reference to Nazis of you just doing your job. Right. But Men in just this, following orders. Right. But in this instance, 
in in speaking about um, scientists creating these things in, out of fear for their life, there's a, a source making them afraid and feeding them information that may or may not be true in order to mm-hmm. cause that fear, that reactionary, I have to create this. Yeah, their fear is projective. Their fear is what the mutants could do. Right, and so I think that's where the innocence of them comes is is they're making these decisions based on information from higher ups and the higher ups are really the enemy. Yeah. But I'm sure within, you know, the counterpoint of that is within all of this, these people believe what these people are saying. They hold the same values. That they need to do this, they need to attack first. They need to be prepared to attack first. It's not like they're coming at it saying oh but let's flip the coin let's see the other side of the situation right all right so off they go on to their mission and we have our first data page of the issue and speaking of that evolving weaponry that sticks to bombs we have a breakdown of the evolution of sentinels and we see the hierarchy from the classic that you know to master mold to mother mold to an omega sentinel and a Nimrod being the end state, the ultimate evolution of the Sentinel line. So where an Omega Sentinel is nanotechnology transforming a human to a machine, a Nimrod is a pure nano-Sentinel construct. It's adaptive, self-aware, self-replicating, virtually indestructible. So that's the kind of the idea in Days of Future Past where they're always adapting and evolving Mm-hmm. to be able to combat with the mutants as they resist. And that's Nimrod. So That's Nimrod technology. Yeah, that that end state nano sentinel adaptive technology. Does Nimrod have that ability that is shown in the movies where yes. a mutant attacks with one power and then they can absorb that power and then have it? No, not absorb and rechannel that power, at least not that I've seen explicitly more that he can adapt to how to do countermeasures against that power similarly to how husk can adapt similarly so yeah. if but without having to rip his metal off. without having to rip his metal off yeah. got it okay so the we were actually looking at the issue of nimrod's origin the first fight that he has with the x-men back in the 80s and i showed you how the only way that they were able to defeat that was rogue combining powers in a new way oh, that right. he could not adapt to. And we were talking about rogue being the, the f- OG chimera. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also something that I have learned expressly through you talking to me about the comics because in the movies they don't do rogue justice with they the ability that she has. Yeah. Well, and also almost from the start of Rogue's introduction, she has the absorbed powers of Captain Marvel as part of her power set. So she can fly, she has super strength and invulnerability in addition to the ability to take people's powers on contact. Amazing. Rogue's amazing. She really is. Ooh, more information. Is yeah, we have a timeline? It's, it's a little bit of a breakdown of some of specific points from Moira's ninth life into her tenth life. So what we had been talking earlier about of how she went from that last issue of Powers of Ten into where we are now. 
She's talking about working with Apocalypse to theorize Nimrod's primal threat to the long-term survival of mutants and their work to undermine that and to prevent that. And they start detailing working with several mutant technopaths to create a program to monitor for technological thresholds being reached that lead to the creation of a Nimrod. And they call this Sleeping Giant, which I thought was kind of interesting. Orcus protocols are watching mutant activity. Sleeping Giant is watching human activity. You remember the Orcus protocols in issue one of House of X where it was watching the population the financial status and the territorial status yes. and then launching Orcus protocols when those reached a certain point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. I constantly feel like I need to check in and yeah. figure out where I am in which of Moira's lives, yep. which timeline, what's happening. And that's, that's so, literally what this page is doing is kind of detailing that bridge between nine and 10. Okay. So when she reincarnates, yep. It says, Moira and Charles Xavier task several mutant technopaths with creating a system, Sleeping Giant, to monitor for Nimrod technological thresholds being reached and or attempted. So that's what you were just talking about. But where is this? She, this is after she attempts to just go to Magneto, after she attempts to just go to Apocalypse, then she goes to Charles and this is the bench. This is sitting on the bench and telling him we've met many times before at that carnival. And then they both go to Magneto and then they've gone and then him and Magneto go to Cyclops. And that's where we're at. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Just making sure I know which story is happening right now. And they're telling us just that background of where the humans had the Orcus protocols. The mutants have had sleeping giant this entire time watching to make sure that they're ready and aware of the conditions that lead to a mother mold and a Nimrod. That was the information that they had stolen at the end of Moira's ninth life. Right. Okay, cool. Excellent. And then we get a little detail about Project Achilles, which is a fully functioning superhuman prison for the worst of the worst. And I say fully functioning because it has all legal and extra constitutional requirements, security, judicial staff, and we're in a courtroom on this superhuman prison. It's interesting. Why is it called Project Achilles? Yeah, right. Because Achilles reminds me of, again, mythology. And, you know, Achilles had his weakness. Mm-hmm. So is this prison... To prevent that weakness of, you know, having the, the worst of the worst? Or is it inflicting that weakness on the worst of the worst? Maybe. Like... Is it, is it bringing them down in some way? Does it stifle their powers? I mean, it's, it's a prison, yeah. So they're they're in containment. They're being either kept and or tried in a very limited capacity. Tried, you know, you have everything in house. Do you think it's a hundred percent fair and just to right. these superhuman evil people? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And so that page, they're talking about this trial. There's only one case today, but it's a big one. And they're reading all the charges, breaking and entering, assault, theft, manslaughter. And if I could add bad manners on the list, I would. (laughs) You have this nervous court-ordered defender. Who do you think we're talking about here? If you could add some, so it's someone that's in this prison? Someone that's in this prison that's committed all of these crimes. Breaking and entering, assault, theft, manslaughter. 
and bad manners? I don't know because everyone that I would guess I is not in prison to my knowledge. Who was the one person left behind on the Mystique Toad end? Oh, Sabretooth. Let me turn the page. And you do have bad manners, Sabretooth. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> even, even agrees in his first word bubble. Oh, I'm guilty meat and spits. I definitely got bad manners. <laughs> meat. And the other charges. Oh, yeah, I did all that, too. I did all that, too. <laughs> Look at his smile. He loves to be bad. He's such a bad guy. He's such a bad guy. But, and I love this line that he says, you think chains can keep me from making your insides your outsides? Because let me tell you, they can't. No wonder that public defender is so terrified. Yeah. And he can huh? smell something. Jasmine. What's that mean? It means you're fired, counselor. That doesn't mean anything to me. Is it supposed to? No. Okay. I was like, what smells like Jasmine? <laughs> Who smells like Jasmine? We're about to find to out. <laughs> <clears throat> Emma Frost. Emma Frost. I love Emma Frost. And she's entering. She's got some cuckoos with her. And this conversation back and forth is, I think, the second, maybe more, time where we've heard them refer to only use mutant names in public so one of the cuckoos refers to her as miss frost and she says no i insist you call me white queen yes mom yes mom because you're technically my mother yeah my mother clone source and she's she's coming to break this up she's so is this this trial is happening within this place. Project, Project Achilles. And so it can't have maybe in their cells or something, it has some sort of dampening of their powers. But in this instance, if she's coming in here to save the day, she's obviously going to be able to use her powers. She could, yeah. So, And okay. I think that that's a great question that kind of gets explored in that next page as she's not using her powers here. She's using Krakoan diplomatic immunity and all of the things that Cyclops was referencing when he was talking to the Fantastic Four. A recent gift from your State Department, that amnesty, diplomatic immunity, and that's why she's going to take Sabretooth with her. She calls him Mr. Creed and uh, the cuckoo corrects her, Sabretooth mom, <laughs> right? Mutant names. Remember mom, mutant yeah. names only. And the judge is obviously super pissed. And so is any of the prosecutors, any of the, the strike team. You know, this guy's a killer and you want me to let him go. Well, as I said previously, amnesty is amnesty. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I think it's really interesting. This whole sequence um, is showing how the mutants are able to work within these systems and operate in diplomacy and not use their mutant powers. And Emma in the next page makes a threat that, you know, if you have that gun pointed on me, we can just pretend that you could stop me and I won't use my powers to do what I actually could do. Right. It's also interesting to understand the fact that Sabretooth is a killer and he is evil and he loves being evil. And under other circumstances, he would stay in this prison, but mm -hmm. because the humans have agreed to this amnesty in order to 
get something that they want. Yep. It's just an interesting commentary on what people will let slide for their own benefit. Yeah. And we don't know, being the humans, we the humans don't know what's going to happen to Sabretooth. Will he face trial and or be served justice on Krakoa? Or are we letting him go and no lesson learned? Right. But he was with Mystique, who was getting this valuable information. So to the mutants. At the behest of Xavier and Magneto. So to the mutants, he's not a criminal. He's just doing his dang job. Well, he wasn't supposed to kill all those people. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's valid. He was not supposed to kill all those people. I like this panel at the bottom where Emma Frost is looking over her shoulder and you see the cuckoos taking Sabretooth away. And she says, it's a brave new world, darlings. Best get used to it. Yeah. Like that's reminiscent of the Magneto over the shoulder. You have new gods now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. Hey, hey. We're. We were in charge. We are in charge. I think they're actually turned over the same shoulder too, which. Yes. Would be interesting to see those images side by side 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 and also just pay attention if there's anything else like that delivered over the shoulder is like a power flex yeah (laughs) oh that's that goosebumps walk away for mutants (laughs) where goosebumps walk away i just turn over my shoulder and say something slightly creepy very powerful very very aggressive (laughs) aggressive and our next data page talks about the omega cycle and this is the process the steps of a human becoming an omega sentinel infection that the fact that it starts with infection right away tells me this is not good right it's it's not a self-imposed yeah infection means something else is taking over your body so if you are part of this like you are no longer yourself Mm -hmm. yeah and the self certainly disappears more and more as this process continues yeah wow nesting replication, dormancy, activation, union, adaptation, and then omega, total machine state. The machine has completely taken over. Yikes. Oh, there's the forge. Yep, the Orcus forge. And we're out in space, and we're talking between Karima and Gregor, and Karima's warning her about where a mother mold could lead, a mother mold that breeds master molds, if they lose control, it's hard not to see the world being overrun by sentinels. Right, especially if sentinels are going to come to the level of Nimrod. Right. Yeah. That's interesting that well, Karima is pointing this out, mm-hmm. saying because that was essentially one of the one of the timelines, one of the threads that we were talking about was I think it's year a thousand year 1000 where the sentinels and nimrod and their gathering of people their organization the ascension situation doesn't really refer to orcus at all anymore Mm -hmm. and so that's exactly what i think of like okay well then they did that you're creating fate yeah even the idea as it's later on the concept that was introduced in the days of future past timeline the idea that eventually sentinels start going after humans, recognizing that humans produce mutant children. Yes. And Karima is... On an, that continuum of human to Omega Sentinel. 
there's question as to how much humanity is left in her. Right, because that's exactly what I was going to say. Because if she was full sentinel or had the full adaptation, which is the second to last step, Mm -hmm. how much of this would she really be worried about? Because she'd be sentinel. So she'd Would she be warning the humans about introducing too many sentinels into the mix? Nope. No. She'd She'd be like, no, I'm a sentinel. Let's get this going. And I believe, I don't know, but visually they look similar. Omega from the year 1000 timeline looks like Karima at an end state. Oh, yeah. That totally makes sense. And she's she's a robot, essentially, so she's not going to die. Right. She's going to keep on going. Mm -hmm. That, okay, cool. I like that. She's talking about the control collars that they have around the mother mold. If things go south, so does she into the sun. And there's warning of incoming. They used a flight path to hide their approach. And we're wondering, is, is it friendly? No, absolutely not. It's a modified Shi'ar class scout. Only one possibility of who this is, the X-Men. Wait, so is this sentinel head in the middle of the forge that's a mega mold that's the mother mold that's the mother mold that's what i meant when i said mega mold yeah (laughs) so that the forge is a space station essentially built to bring on this mother mold head to house these human scientists as they try to deliver on this paradigm shift of sentinel technology yeah who that? I've seen that person before. It looks similar to an AIM soldier. Right, okay. We actually, there's a couple of them right over there. Yeah, the, the, right the behind me. Beekeeper outfits. Yes, okay. All right, so now they know the X-Men, the X-Men have arrived. And, and just Gregor's face, how did that, she's blown away. The fact that they know what's going on. They're on their way here and the humans aren't ready for them. Right, because they only know because of Moira's past lives, correct? Yeah, and well, and Sleeping Giant. Right, but Sleeping Giant is only created because, because of, of Moira's, Moira's past, past lives. lives. Yeah, so they they think that someone talked. They think that there's a mole. There's a mole. But you know, this is what Moira has been working on across lifetimes to find the source of mutant destruction, the Nimrod files in Life Nine, and now the Mother Mold files. In Life 10. They steal those mother mold files from damage control. Yes. And they steal the files of the soul's hammer, which is the forge. Oh. And was referenced as a piece of technology that they had stolen from Tony Stark and or Reed Richards. The soul's hammer actually comes from one of Jonathan Hickman's previous works in Marvel, which really talks to his long-term planning, not even just in this, the X-Men world, but how so he's creating elements in the entire Marvel universe. I love that. Yeah. I love that kind of layered storytelling that's really intentional and has a future. That's Jonathan Hickman's long game writing. So this is the basis of the introduction to the X-Men's part in that story and how that connects to some previous elements that have been introduced, but also how it connects to a lot of other elements throughout X-Men history. Mm -hmm. And so Gregor's freaking out. We were supposed to be operational before we got their attention. We're screwed. Recall the drones from Mercury to defend the station is something I believe Karima suggests. They're coming, but it's going to be too late. So it's almost as though the humans are getting defeated before they even get started. Well, that's positive. 
and, for the X Men. Right, right. Well, they've been they've been working on this for lifetimes. Lifetimes. Uh, the this guy that Gregor's talking to back and forth that's giving her these updates. This is her partner. Not not Karima, the other person. Yeah, yeah, yeah her in love interest. Right, that guy who I oh, believe. Oh, her love interest. Yes, yes. Saucy. Well, and he even says, "Hey, cheer up, my love." It's just a little fight for the survival of our species. Nothing to worry about. Just basically what we've been doing all along. Right. It's just not on our terms. As in that next page, the spaceship is making its final approach. And so they say to Nightcrawler, to Kurt, to start doing recon. So he's going to teleport in, you know, Nightcrawler. He's going to teleport in and confirm the plans that they have the schematics of the base hold up question okay so you just said schematics of the base so i feel like that maybe answers my question but can't nightcrawler only teleport to places he has seen or can see yes so because they have the schematics that's how potentially he can get in there it's questionable yeah and i'm glad that you you say that because i think that should be somewhat beyond his ability to be able to go from one moving spaceship to a space station without seeing the inside. Right. Um, the idea that they have these schematics, so he might be able to do some more recon of it because of it. And even because, or maybe there's more on the drive that we didn't see or mm-hmm. something. There has to be something that's giving something him a that, solid right. definition of space to, he wouldn't, right. he wouldn't get in there. And there he goes. Yeah, and I love this just two, one, four, three as he's popping into these various points across the space station and doing that recon, finding, hey, these are the places that we want to be going. And they are going there to, what are those two, one, four, three? What does that represent? I don't know if we would have known by now, but those are the points in the space station that hold the collars. Oh, it doesn't. It's yeah. on the previous page. I was cheating and reading, and I just wanted you to tell. Oh, good. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it's where the collars are. Okay. So their plan is to go for each of the collars and release the mother mold into the sun before it's even brought online. Bye-bye. Right. Cool. And Nightcrawler and Karima have this little exchange. They know each other. They've worked together and apart throughout the history of their characters. They've worked together. There was a time where Karima was in control of her humanity and was an ally of the X-Men. Interesting. Not so much anymore. Maybe still in control of part of her humanity. Potentially. But no longer an ally of the X-Men. Right. And even she she says, uh, Gregor says, they have a teleporter. And Karima corrects her. His name is Nightcrawler. (laughs) They know a little bit about him. Low... And he, they even say his powers are point-to-point point and low-yield. So they're still going to have to dock to insert any kind of sizable assault force. Well, he wouldn't be able to just hold someone and bring them to number one, hold someone, bring them to number two, hold someone, bring them to number three, and that's what they're the dock? That's what they're saying is a potential challenge or limitation to his power. So they're, they're hoping that they need to dock somewhere on the ship to be able to get in. And so all of this that's happening on these two pages is Nightcrawler's doing his recon and the people on the ship are 
trying to gear up to be able to stop them because they assume that they're going to dock. And yeah. I so they're all going to the hangar where they're assuming that they're going. And Karim even says it's a very linear plan for a very non-linear foe. And you hear this giant rumble. I think what I really like about the artwork here is not in a way that it in a negative way, but in a positive way, there is the appearance of chaos. Mm-hmm. Everyone's in different facings. There's different setups for the shots. You Diagonals, see, yeah. yeah, just the images really make you feel this constant back and forth of like, what are we doing? What's happening over here? What do we do? Like trying yeah. to gather a plan, trying to get a sense of what's going on. The, that bubble around Gregor's face that just looks like shock, surprise, anger as she's shouting and or communicating into the yes. telecom. And she's like holding her head. Yeah. And even the rumble, the rumble page, you you look like it's rumbling. The space station is shaking. Yeah. it's It's very nicely done. It really, it gives you the feeling of, Almost if you just look at these two pages side by side and you're not even reading, you're just looking at it, you have this darting feeling of where do I look? What's the, even though there's a very clear order of the story, right? it still gives you chaos and excitement so much to look at that it makes you feel that feeling of Mm -hmm. what is happening right now. Where do I look? Which is essentially what the characters are feeling when they're trying to figure out where the team is going to come into the station and also really plays into this idea of Nightcrawler just being able to like pop up in different places and you're constantly like turning your head and looking for him and trying to figure out what's going on. So I think visually this compilation of images is really beneficial to the vibes that you Mm -hmm. need to be feeling when you're reading this part of the story. Plus Nightcrawler just looks so awesome. Yeah, Nightcrawler's just With that sword on his back, just... Yeah. smoke trailing all around him as the bamps as he's going all around. Yeah. Good stuff. The eagle has landed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they're coming in through the hull of the station. They're not going to the hangar. And the humans realize this. Yeah. And we see Walker reacting to this breach in the hull. There's something cutting into the space station. It's awesome. And so he closes the doors. Yeah, they're going to dock, but they're not going to dock where you think they're going to. Right. And so they're hitting the section right above where they need to access everything. They know the plans. So basically, Nightcrawler has confirmed everything we thought. It's real. Like Our plans are accurate. Let's do it. And I do have to say... One thing that's really great also about comics and looking at the images is the sounds, the, um, what is that word? Onomatopoeia. Yep. Thank you. And, but it is funny to me that this is this very intense moment and he just reaches for his wrist and says, be-doop. Like, we close, yeah, he closes off all their but just exits. Be-doop is such right. a right. dainty little noise. Yeah. <laughs> And so, so his name's Erasmus. This is the guy that Gregor's been talking to. And he says to her, bad news. They're hitting right in the section where they're going to be able to approach everything. He's telling Gregor that he's got to be willing to do whatever it takes to build a better world. He's got to be willing to do what they need to do to take out the mutants before they have this opportunity 
to enter and destroy what they've been working on. Which from the images looks like I'm going to blow myself up. Yeah. And she's very sad about it. It's her partner. You know, they're talking about how he wishes, you know, I joked about it a lot, but do I really wish we'd had kids? Be strong, love. Don't let them win. Click. Dang. It's always interesting when a story like that is told on the opposite side of what is you know your side of the story because you always obviously we're reading this on the side we're of rooting the for the mutants right we're rooting for the mutants and we come at it from the aspect of you all are the ones who are forcing this idea that humans and mutants can't live together mm-hmm we tried it that way or we were aiming for it to be that way and you didn't want to. So you're the bad guy because you've put these negative layers on us and you've put this idea that we can't live together and you've decided to destroy us in order to survive. But when you see this sort of interaction... Where they talk about their humanity, when they talk about their lives as family members to each other. Right, and and you wonder from their understanding, the mutants are trying to take all of this away from them. Right. And so I wonder where along the line did that become, was that fired from just people who hated mutants and the propaganda, anti-mutant propaganda that then put this idea in their mind? Or did they experience an instance where a mutant took something from them or the Brotherhood or the Hellfire Club did something to them to... Say, no, we're better than you and we're going to destroy you. Because those groups still exist, even though Moira's in this life changing some things. The time that Charles and Moira went to Magneto, the Brotherhood has already existed. Right. They've this already is all, done things. All so of those things are leading up to where we other are. Other villains have already emerged. Other other villains that have come out as part of adding to anti mutant hysteria, adding to public opinion against mutants. Yeah. Just the the don't let them win yeah is desperation that's that's a line you know don't let them win is so much different than defeat them mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. when you say don't let them win it comes from a place like you said of desperation it Whatever comes from it a place of i have to do this it's necessity this is for, this the is for survival of, yeah our species yeah. It's It's an important juxtaposition to what they're doing. What? what Yeah, because it helps you see the bigger picture and it helps you have compassion and understanding for both sides. Mm -hmm. And it makes the story more interesting. Yeah. You're building that that argument for either side. Yeah. You could justify to a degree. Right. Because then you're like, hey, the immune seven even really done anything you're talking about. I will never complete, like, be able to completely justify the complete annihilation, annihilation of, an of an entire species. You know, whether it's the mutants completely annihilating the the regular humans or vice Which versa. They're not trying, right? But you know, vice apocalypse. Just these terrible scientists and they're <laughs> they're just innocent crazy people, machines. and that brings in that idea of innocent people. Right? You know, are they? Are they or are they not? Yeah. And our last page. Oh. <laughs> Wait a second. That's the ship with the X-Men on it. Right, but if he blew up where they were coming in, didn't he also, so the the forge itself stays intact except for that one section? That's a good question. I would 
And w- this is the end of the issue. Are all these people dead? All these people, all the X-Men? Yeah. That's cliffhanger. That's, You're like, mm, I'm not going to tell yeah, you. <laughs> that's, that's the hold on your butts, turn the page, and on to the next issue. Okay, well, why don't you close us out with this quote while I sit here and just cry. Just r- wrestle with all the feelings <laughs> of what just happened in that spaceship. Yes. For you to die, you would have to be forgotten. And no one forgets the founder of a nation, Magneto. That's what he was saying to Cyclops. Oh. Wow, wow, wee wow. Yeah, it gives the weight of what they're doing Ooh, a lot more. Yeah. So I believe we had gotten at this time in reading an incomplete cipher, but this is a complete breakdown of Krakoan and what the symbols mean in English. Dang. Okay, wow. Overall thoughts of this issue. I always like a story that stays on one time time frame yeah. for a little while yeah, it, to it travel through. It really helps build one solid idea. And I feel like those beginning issues helped to create the difference of where our actions could be. But this was almost entirely with either the X-Men and then the humans and then leading into a connected narrative mm-hmm. between the two. And I feel that you know, as a story arc, this issue has a great plot twist. You're building up this idea that the mutants know what's going on. They have this advantage. They have these plans. They're taking the humans by surprise. Even the humans feel like they've been taken by surprise. The mutants are basically on the verge of completing their task, which always seems to be the case. They're Mm -hmm. on the verge. But then they leave you with this image of the ship exploding and you don't know what's happening and that just flips the script. It's like, yeah, you were were going to complete your goal. You were so close and then yet again, now you've been blown up. Destruction. And it makes me think of the beginning when Cyclops is talking about good mutants who accept the mission for what it is that understand the stakes and the risk. That's kind of a combination of some of the quotes that he's saying to Magneto and Professor Xavier. But that... I've gotten a team. They're not maybe all the mutants that I've asked, but these are the mutants that understand the importance of what we're doing, the risk of what we're doing. That right there ties them so beautifully to the humans Mm -hmm. because all of these people are all under the same... Yeah, the same pretense, the same pretense. I have to do this because it's the only way and I have to do anything I can for mm-hmm. the survival of my species, which is exactly and what the exact reason why that guy blew himself up. And the difference being the mutants know for certain that if they don't do this, that this leads into the extermination of their species. Yeah. I love this issue. It's a good one. Yeah. It really made me excited about the House of X storyline. And even though there wasn't a whole lot of action, there was a lot of development of plot and leading to tense stakes. And, of course, beautiful artwork. Yeah. Beauteous. I am very interested to find out the fate Mm -hmm. of these mutants what happened did they all just die was nightcrawler still somewhere else is he now trapped what's going on well we'll have to wait until we 
check out the next issue next episode. Yeah, we will. You wanna you wanna translate some Krakoan? Yeah, what does this say? <laughs> Do you know? Um, well, I don't know, just looking at it, but these this usually says next, and this will give you a little clue underneath it as to what it is that's coming next. Next. Two there's two different ones. Yep. Yeah, so that's this is that's a preview of the cover of issue four of House of X. And that says next, and then that's a preview of Powers of Ten, number four. And this one's in red. Is that in red in the little... I don't believe so. Well, okay. I'll do my homework now. <laughs> if you want me to, if you want to pause it, we can translate it. But yeah, please hold everyone. Let, I'm going to translate this. Yeah. All right. And so we've just now... With the magic of technology, we're back. We've, so, we've just now translated the last two pages that have the Krakoan script on them with the previews of the next two issues. So the next one, which is another House of X. House of X number four. It says, it will be done. And I think that's really interesting because that is, I looked it up while we were translating, that is the title of the next issue. Ooh. And does it need doing? Does it need doing? The conversation between Cyclops and Magneto and Charles on the ground. Yes. And then it will be done. Then it will be done. And the next one. That powers of 10 number four. As I finished it and realized what it said. Yeah. It was quite magical. It says something sinister. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Mr. Sinister. Mr. S. He's definitely going to be around because how dare they say sinister and not include him? They would never. You hope so. You hope so. So anyway, um, if you want some fun, translate some Krakoan because oh, yeah. it's very revealing and exciting and also hurts your brain just slightly. Yeah. You start to recognize some of the letters. I've definitely started to recognize a handful of the letters and that makes it easier. And also I've printed out a version of the alphabet amazing yeah all right so we've heard my overall thoughts i've translated some krakoan is there anything you want to add or leave us with before we finish up this episode i just you know think about how erasmus was willing to do whatever necessary and now it seems like we're gonna get some more of that on the other side exciting yeah well if you want more from us, you can find us on all the social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at The Ex-Wife Podcast. Um, we will be building ourselves up to a live episode. So if you have questions, comments, things that you'd like to hear our opinions on, please send an email to at the Podcast at gmail.com. And maybe we'll talk about those things either on a recorded show or on our live. Mm -hmm. And um we're really excited to have this this little world of X-Men conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we will see you next time. Until next time, old friend. Charles! Thanks so much for joining us today on the X-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 